Hello, and welcome to Volcano Bake Meat. I'm Grant. I'm Paige. I'm Connor. I'm Neil. Uh, so our special guest today is Neil Phelps from Portland, Oregon. Actor, director, writer, and Green Lantern of Sector 2184. The sexiest uh, sector. The sexiest sector. I mean, it has Neil in it, so... Also love Lantern on the side, don't tell my parents. <laughs> <laughs> so, today we're going to be talking about voice acting, and how it has changed over time in video games, and... The value that it brings, the good, the bad, the in-between, all of that delightful stuff. So I think the best place to start would just be to talk about times that the voice acting in a game has really stood out and uh, impacted the quality of the game, for better or for worse. Who should start? I'm going to go for a moment when voice acting very much established a character very quickly, and that is in Beautiful Joe. Oh, yes. <laughs> I still have not played that, actually. Yeah, no, Beautiful Joe for Connor uh, was a GameCube-era game where it's kind of an adapted side-scroller. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a side-scroller yeah. beat-em-up. I know what I it's about, it I've never you, played it. But really, it's for our audience. Oh, I'm a metaphor. And the main character, <laughs> Joe, gets superpowers, but he's a schlubby guy. And he's kind of, like, the art is a little bit strange. It's very heavily cel-shaded. Mm-hmm. It was um, one of the first, like, one of the early cel-shaded games. So they really went a whole hog into it. And everybody's a little bit chibi, so it's kind of hard to see them. But if you hear Joe's voice, you know that he's the 20-something schlub who's way too into, like, superhero shows from when he was a kid and who's bringing his girlfriend to see that movie. Like, you know exactly who this man is. And how little he's done in life as soon as he opens his mouth. And how excited he gets when it's time for him to say, Henshin a go-go, baby! Yeah. Are you excited yeah. too, Grant? I'm excited. I, I get excited. I get excited watching him say it. Yeah. Did you guys watch the show? I never watched the show. There was a show? It's actually there really... Show. It's actually really good. Is it really? It's actually really good. Yeah, no, there was a short-lived cartoon. What's cel-shaded? Like, it's that weird art style where, like... It's 3D, but it's got, like, the really thick inking on it, so it's supposed to look mm. almost like a really inky comic book So type it's, like, thing. trying to make itself, like, new age, but then dialing itself back down to look more, like, retro. Like, like Beautiful Joe Wind Waker is the other really popular okay. cel-shaded game. Borderlands does the heavy cel-shading. Okay. Like, that sort of cartoony, yeah. but also 3D style. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, Telltale so it looks like a, a looks like a uh, comic book inside a video game. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're definitely trying to evoke that comic book look. Mm-hmm. For me, I think there are so many examples I could get into... I think the one that, having played the game more than once, really sticks out to me is uh, near the end of Bioshock Infinite. And I will talk around so that I don't spoil things, but... uh, (laughs) Even now. Even now. I mean, you know, you never know. You don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy who spoils Bioshock Infinite for somebody. But uh, it's when Booker and Comstock have their last confrontation at the baptism fountain. Mm. And and, and he's, he's banging Comstock's head against the fountain. And screaming at him about, like, how how could you do this to your daughter? You, you know, run off and do all this, like, and now you're coming back and trying to save her. And he's just, just laying into him while he's beating the crap out of him. And Troy Baker just really put his all into it. And it's amazing when knowing what you know about Booker's backstory up to that point and seeing the parallels that he's yelling at Comstock, but he's also kind of yelling at himself. Because he feels bad about the stuff that he's done in his own past. It really is just, it's chilling bringing it all together in that just really dramatic confrontation at the end of the game. So I think that if I had to pick one particular moment, it would have to be that. I think that runner-up would be Aqua at the end of Birth by Sleep, but that's neither here nor there. That, that puts me in lineup. 
Uh, so I'm going to focus all my attention on this first question on Square Enix. You'll fit right in here. Yeah, you'll fit yeah. right in here. You're doing uh, it, so I don't have to. So uh, difficulties I see with voice acting, as far as like the progression of where it's going, where it's come from. Clearly, games are a you know uh, interactive experience, and that should always come first and foremost. But whenever you develop into that experience, strong storytelling, I think it still comes second. I think the story is always going to come second to the play style of the game, unfortunately, sometimes. But I think that Square Enix is one that's not going to let that be the case as much as possible. Another issue is when you have 14 hours of gameplay, some of those games are putting two hours of movie into those 12 hours of gameplay. I think that Square Enix has always succeeded in their moments of, of nuance, where things the moments I think about with them isn't necessarily their final boss scenes, but the moments of of nuanced slight acting where you know that there's a secret. Someone's going to have to make a sacrifice. Uh, I don't think I'm spoiling anything for anyone right now. You know, dying in Final Fantasy X is pretty clear from the top. Oh, okay, hold on, hold on. Just call it Final Fantasy X. Final Fantasy X. Whatever. It's the most oh, extreme. Oh, we're going to have problems. It's the extreme. All right, bro. It's true. It, it does star an extreme sports star. Just, yes. Just pretend he said Mortal Kombat X. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Uh, so Final Fantasy X, and uh, the scene that sticks out most to me is when Titus is being introduced to that element that she's going to have to die in order to save the world for only three weeks at a time. And they're all kind of like, oh, that's what we're going to do? Well, that sucks. That's, (laughs) like, awful. And we're basically going to give our entire lives, the strongest warriors of the world, to give the world three weeks vacation. (laughs) Uh, I think think it's supposed to be usually a little longer than three weeks. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's like a month or something like that. I, I think it's supposed to be a couple years. Is it a couple years? I don't. I don't know if they ever explicitly say, but so yeah, like the lifespan of you know your house rat. It was in dog weeks. Yeah, which are human years, right? <laughs> but right. yeah, I remember actually. The, yeah, when he finds out. Yeah, and he just has this total breakdown at home when, when like, like yeah. home is exploding yeah. and he's just stopping to have a breakdown. That I think that was a very high point of voice acting in a game that generally. Gets a lot of crap for having not yeah. very good voice acting. Yeah, and I think specifically the scene where this beautiful cinematography, Yuna is taking the spirits out of a lake, which are all the dead people that Sin had killed, and passing them on to the future, or into the ether, or whatever it is, aether. And it's making a lot of... It's making poetry where it was a game a minute ago. You're, you know, you're going into something that's questioning, making questions, and taking a moment to breathe with these characters. And the game, I mean, probably in that scene, there's only like five, six, seven lines, something like that within 30 seconds. But the way they set up those lines has a lot of context and ultimately made it far more affecting to me. I um, wish we had more scenes like that in yeah, FF10. Yeah, I agree. I think FF10's big weakness in its story is we don't have enough of that. Yeah, it, it gets kind of steamrolled once you find out other plot intricacies. and Yeah backstory issues and so connor actually i was originally going to say the first bioshock because we don't bring it up enough but i had a better idea a game that has really had a standout um example of voice acting to me was the stanley parable so for those of you who are not familiar with the stanley parable Mm -hmm. we talked about it a little bit on the show (laughs) a little bit in fact, I had my, my, my friend ask me, is that a horror game? I'm like, no, why? He's like, well, the way you guys talked about it, it sound really scary. And I'm like, eh, it's not I mean, it, it's it, not you scary. find existential dread scary. It gets into existential horror in places. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a horror game, but it gets in your head. Yeah. Right? It gets in your head. It's unsettling. Yeah, it, it bothers you, which is both good and bad. It's, it's good that it's bad, um, if that makes sense. I don't care. But anyway, 
So the Stanley Parable, you play as Stanley, who is a voiceless protagonist. And you just kind of wander through your life. The whole point of the game is it, it's a existential quandary. You're being guided by this narrator, and you can choose whether or not to follow his directions. If you don't, it leads to all kinds of other branching scenes and storylines and scenarios, and each playthrough will be different. It's not even that every time you play through, you can pick the same one. Sometimes you'll go the same route you did before, and a different thing will be there. It's very interesting. But the narrator is this incredible part of the game, because he sounds just like... A very well-to-read author narrating an audiobook, la la la, here we go. But he has these few moments where emotion kind of comes through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it goes weird. from, like, David Attenborough to, like, Ramsey Gordon real quick. Yeah, and it's it's weird to think about because you never really think about your relationship as the player with the narrator. And suddenly the narrator becomes this really dynamic character. And, and it's just a disembodied voice. There's no one there. You don't get to interact with them at all, except for you just choose whether or not to do what it tells you. Yeah. A lot like Portal, but with more choice. Way more choice. Very much like Portal, actually. Yeah. Portal, Portal had a very similar effect, because GLaDOS, while actually she ended up being a, a character, an actual thing yeah. that you encountered, she was still basically the disembodied voice. Yeah. The narrator that kind of chided you and yeah. mocked you. Yeah, because her voice exists even after her body was gone, too. Exactly. But with the Stanley Parable... I thought that was fascinating because just some guy's voice, lines that he read, was able to compel me to do certain things in the game and in some cases feel bad about it. It gives you, and in the Stanley Parable, it's a false sense, but it gives you a sense of comfort because it's like tucking yourself into bed and you hear somebody read you a story. And for the Stanley Parable, that's even creepier because your mom's tucking you into bed and she's telling you about all the dark adult secrets that you don't want to know yet. <laughs> Mom's been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've kind of already got into what what is the value of having voice acting in a game. Like, how, what impact can they have? Because looking back, voice acting now is kind of a foregone conclusion. But back in the earlier days, it was pretty much not heard of. Well, I think one thing, I'm not going to go back quite yet. But just an experience that we've been having is we've been, uh, you've been replaying, I've been playing Borderlands 2. Claptrap could be the most annoying character who ever rolled onto stage. <laughs> and by having an incredibly perky voice and incredibly depressing dialogue, that pairing of two things gives it a nuance that text alone wouldn't have. Yeah, because if he was Marvin the Depressed Robot. A paranoid Android. Paranoid Android, whatever. He was also a depressed robot. He was also a depressed robot. Yeah. That is a more appropriate name. But yeah, if he was just if he was just Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide, then it would just seem derivative. Well, and if we just had the text, he would just be Marvin the Paranoid Android. But because we have his chipper little voice, like all oh, my friends are dead. That's true. You would probably read him as this very sad, lonely robot. Which he is. But you, if you just read it, you would get that versus him speaking it in this forced, optimistic tone. <laughs> well, and because, yeah, I'm actually very sad, but I can't say anything in any other tone. <laughs> and because he's the one who introduces you in that game to Pandorica, um, along with Handsome Jack... Well, he introduces you to Pandora. Or Pan- yeah, well, he doesn't lock you in the Pandorica. Pandorica would be a cooler name for the planet, I think. Yeah, Maybe. that's a Doctor Who thing. What it does is it creates a tone for the game, along with the opening sequence, along with Handsome Jack, along with a lot of the other things going along, but he guides you through that world that is both incredibly dark, and you are laughing the entire time. Mm. And by having 
that voice chosen, the entire tone of the game is set. Yeah, and I think that might be part of why I think Borderlands 2 nails that tone a little bit better than the first one did. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the first one had it, but the first one I don't think quite nailed it as well. It was the side characters that did it in the first one, and in the second one you had Handsome Jack antagonizing you throughout. I think my favorite Handsome Jack moment was Butt Sprinkles. <laughs> uh, where well, he he names a horse Butt, oh, Butt Stallion. Butt Stallion. Yeah, it was Butt, Butt Stallion. Come here, Butt Stallion. <laughs> I got a diamond crusted pony. I'm gonna name him Butt Stallion. Butt Sprinkles would be an amazing name. Butt Sprinkles. Yeah, Butt Sprinkles would, yeah, would also be. Really Where's that, My Little Pony? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's an entirely new storytelling technique that's happened. It happened in, or it happened in the Metroid Prime games. Uh, it happened in Bioshock, and it's used for a completely different purpose in Borderlands. Where it's the constantly narr- like the constant narration allows you to have another level of gameplay just by having a voice actor going over, almost like an audiobook on top of your book. Yeah, the audio logs, yeah, Borderlands does them a little bit differently, but you do sometimes find the echo recorders on top of people just talking to you. Well, even just people talking to you, it, it allows you to have another layer of story on top of your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's funny about, I want to just jump back a little bit quick, what's funny about how Claptrap really helped set the tone of Borderlands and how Borderlands 2, you said, you felt embraced it a lot better than 1. They clearly were trying to kind of go for that with Borderlands 1, but now that the other games are out and we can see kind of what they wanted to do, it's clear that in Borderlands 1, they almost kind of stumbled into that tone for their game. They were clearly trying different things because Borderlands 1 was in many ways a bit more serious than Borderlands 2, and sometimes it was funny. Most of the time it was quirky, sort of dark comedy. But it would, it wasn't really very well mixed together, right? It was kind of, you got a little bit of one and then a little bit of the other, just kind of back and forth. And then Claptrap was the one who kind of sealed the deal. I wonder how much they really expected Claptrap to be a big part of the game. If he just ended up becoming the mascot because everyone rallied behind him and thought he was awesome, or if they were like, yeah, this is gonna become the new, like, face of the game, everyone's gonna love him. I would almost bet that wasn't the plan. I almost bet he was like, this will be a fun secondary character. And then because he just happened to be this awesome little part of that world and help set that tone, everyone like everyone just bonded with him. And they're like, okay, this is clearly the right thing to do. Let's embody this more with Borderlands 2. And in Borderlands 2, it flowed so much better. And then the pre-sequel, you could finally play as him. Yes, but that's also the pre-sequel. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting because this is something you can use very easily just because voice acting is something, now that we have it, it's something that stays with you through the game. I think something different to bring back Square Enix is Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kingdom Hearts is really interesting because if you strip away the Disney characters, it is a very dark game. Mm-hmm. Especially you, the later ones. Especially the later ones. As the games go on, they definitely get darker. I mean, there are people being taken over by darkness, darkness, they're losing their hearts, they're losing their souls, they're losing their bodies. I mean, the first game has a suicide. The first game has a suicide, which Who kills is... himself? It doesn't stick, but... Was it Donald? It no. wasn't Donald. <laughs> okay, because that would both be tragic and kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, through it all, you have the voice of Sora. You have a... I mean, not in the games where Sora doesn't exist, but then you have... You have a voice that is young, that is optimistic... And that is pretty much unflappable even when it should be flapped. That's why Sora's a great character in general. But yeah, Haley Joel brings that to the character really well. And it would be a very different, very darker game if you were fo- playing as Riku. But that's partially because of his storyline and because he has darker things happen to him. But it's also just because Sora's character is created both by his dialogue, but also how it's 
how it's portrayed. So a lot of what made that game, I feel like that game and a lot of other games really good, kind of was the voice acting, the actors, the, pe- the people in it. If you take a lot of that away, the game loses something really important. Because I think originally, I mean, I feel like this is kind of true for almost any big innovation or any new technological advancement, especially when it comes to games, but other areas as well. Is I think the main reason voices and actors weren't originally a part of video games is just because they couldn't afford it. Well, they couldn't afford it, and the the technology didn't support it either. That too, and the technology wasn't there. And I think it became a a thing where, like, oh, cool, now we can do voice acting. But some people just did it because it was a gimmick. I mean, there are obviously games with voices in them that really don't need (laughs) to have voices in them. And, in fact, they don't help the game. They just kind of impede it. To the same degree, it has definitely become a serious staple in video games now, where if you were to... I don't know if Activision or EA or other big AAA publishers could pump out a game that didn't have voice acting in it now. Probably not. And actually, an interesting thing that just occurred to me, it's become the staple, but it's also almost, be- it's become woven into it to the point where even beyond a story perspective, gameplay could be so heavily changed by removing it. I'm thinking specifically of Overwatch. How different would Overwatch be if it didn't have any voice acting? Yeah, because all those characters are so personalized, you develop relationships with them. Yes, but not even just that. I mean, obviously, yes, part of what makes Overwatch so great is that they have this cast of really well-honed characters. But if you hear something that isn't in English, you freak out. Yeah, like, the core aspect of the gameplay is built around being able to recognize character lines. When you hear it's high noon, you know to hide. Yeah. And if if they took out the voice acting, they'd need to replace it with, like, this weird little... Beeps and bops mm-hmm. means McCree's ulting and everything. Or, or you'd have to have another visual trigger on the screen that says, like, this is happening now. You'd be like, oh. Yeah, it would yeah. interrupt the flow of the game. Well, and as somebody, I mean, as I've said before, I did not play shooters pretty much from the one time I picked up the first Halo until I picked up Borderlands once at an unsuccessful juncture and then uh, Overwatch and now Borderlands again. Ah, Halo. Now that was some fine voice acting. I need a weapon. I need a weapon. But... I've noticed for me, there are times where I'm looking at the screen because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to shoot straight. I'm trying to run and shoot at the same time without my camera going all over the place. That is crucial to success. It is. I've heard this. Mm-hmm. And so there will be times when I'm running, I'm like, I don't know where someone's shooting me from. Grant's like, oh, well, there's that red sliver on your screen. It's like, I did not see a red sliver. I was so busy focusing on so many other things because I am taking in visual information. My brain has not been trained to take in. The more visual stimulation I have, the less likely I'm going to take it in. So adding that layer of audio makes it easier. So you're running around trying to shoot. You hear angry Japanese, you know to run. Well, especially <laughs> because even if you haven't been playing video games your whole life, like there are, there are things video games build into your brain. They build, you know, how to explore a digital space, how to look, take in a UI. But you've heard people say things all your life. You've heard visual cue, or audio cues from different places you can learn that more easily, even if you don't come from that space. And something Overwatch has been very good at is pulling people in like me, both with their bright, shiny colors and interesting characters, but also when they get us in there, they keep us in there with audio cues. I'm just reminded for some reason, after you mentioned that, of some other thing we value when it comes to dialogue or voice acting or just voice. And that's that we tend to latch on to phrases or statements, or quotes, or other things like that, for a very long... Like, it's just something that can become kind of an inside joke, or something that is endearing. Like, how much 
do you really think the creators of StarCraft thought people would still be shouting, You must construct additional pylons. pylons. (laughs) Even now. Just because it almost wasn't even so much voice acting. It was just, it had a voice component of someone just reading a line, but at the same time, it, it stuck for some reason, right? Same thing with Duke Nukem. Almost everything Duke Nukem says. That's something of, that's worth, that's of value too, because same thing with Overwatch. If Overwatch did not have the unique voices and personalities behind the characters, it would be so much less interesting of a game. Oh yeah. When you boil it down, the game is just objective-based shooter, really. And sometimes fighter. But there's not much to it. It's just you have an objective, you play with characters with different mechanics, and you use them together to accomplish that objective. To a certain degree, you could argue that the voices and personalities are just cosmetic. You know, they don't matter. But at the same time, the voices and personalities make the game so much more interesting and so much more endearing, and it's part of the reason why so many more people like it, other than just the gameplay. Uh, I was going to say, to add on to that, I'm going to borrow a little bit of knowledge from the theater world, in that theater, I'm not sure if it's a common, it's something I've heard enough, uh, which is that a really good set should be a separate character to the play and function as a character almost. Now, there's restrictions and things, obviously, that wouldn't cross over into the gaming world. However, like notable notable example would be uh, one of the first renditions or first stage performances of of um, uh, Willie Loman uh, Death. Oh, Death They they won best set that year because uh, it was the first time that someone had made a uh, skeleton set. In that, if if you look up pictures, I, I recommend you do so. It's actually really cool. They built the framework of a house, but did not put the walls on the house, mm-hmm. which is an element of alternative realism or something like that. Selective realism. Choosing when you're making things completely real towards what the world would look like and personally ma- or actually making a choice against it. So that choice, making the house of a skeleton, not only are you able to see into the house and therefore make a metaphor to how we're seeing their family the way that they don't want the world to see them, but you're also making that house itself a skeleton which makes it dead. So my point into what Connor was saying, although it may be long drawn, is that I do believe that certain voices, much like uh, you require more pylons, are setting. Where, and Well, they're not like an actual they're active not, they're, character. They're not a character. They don't have a motivation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you mean. Unmotiva- yeah, they're, they're the environment you're playing. They're the environment you're playing. Okay. The, 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 so in that sense, they become scenery, and they become part of the set. Mm-hmm. I want to pull back also, if that's all right. I was also going to bring up Gears of War, which I forgot about, which is one of my favorite franchises. I'm pretty disappointed by Gears of War 4, and the, the gameplay was really satisfying. However, um, the storyline for 1, 2, and 3 blew me away every time. Mostly number 2, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And some solid voice acting throughout in those, too. Yes. I mean, John DiMaggio fucking sold it all three games. Absolutely. Which is why I'm still not sure why 4 didn't work as well. I'm going to lead towards the script, actually. One, two, and three had character conflict. Another scenery piece is Coltrane and Baird, my two favorite characters of the franchise. <laughs> Are they everybody's? Uh, Baird, the most annoying guy in the entire world, and uh, Coltrane, the guy who can like come up with a, a viral 10-second 
Twitter handle and like everything he says. Like, Woo! Blow this shit up! Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think we we needed to give honorable mention in voice acting to the part in I think it was in Gears Two when you're deep in Locust territory and he, and he gets, comes up the upstairs. Yeah, well, upstairs and, and he, he he gets on the he gets on the loudspeaker. Oh yeah. And he starts yeah. screaming at all the locusts about how he's about to blow all their shit up. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he just like he's just just broadcasts a message to the entire locust mm-hmm. empire. Basically just shit-talking them. Yeah. Yeah. Gears of War 4, for those who haven't played it, we've lost a lot of color. Uh, your team is Marcus, Marcus's kid, and Marcus's kid's kind of girlfriend, and Marcus's kid's kind of best friend, who's also Marcus's kind of best friend. And no one in there is funny. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the entire game is That's a too bunch bad. Of serious... I mean, they're like there's moments, you know what I mean, but they're not characters in the way that Baird and Coltrane are. Also, the plot doesn't take you to the same places. I think it was uh, largely brought in. It was a it was a super prequel. They the inciting event, in my opinion, is at the end of the first or is at the end of the fourth game, uh, which is really annoying. And it just kind of seems like they're just taking you on. Like you don't have a moment where there's any character conflict. Also. Uh, so the voice actors didn't really have anything to work with, right? And they just yeah, kind of just, read the script exactly, and the whole game kind of feels like a track, right? You didn't uh, feel like it was really. I'm guessing then you didn't really feel immersed, right? It like, just felt like you're being pulled along, exactly. Like the first game, you're you know the first thing that happens that really you know trips you up is when you go to like the factory where there's the creepy doctor talking in, and he's like maybe even the second game, and he's like telling you about the experiments he's done on on the people and. Uh, yeah, I think that was the second. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and so you, that helped, and like their reactions and everything. I always felt Gears of War had a very straightforward narrative, but the voice acting was what helped bring it all yeah. together. Yeah, the actors really set. Well, I'm, it's pretty repetitive now, but they set the tone. They did, yeah. <laughs> and they had dissenting opinions too on where they were going to go. I mean, they eventually follow the track, but like sometimes they'll talk and like, "Well, what should we do?" And they're like, "Well, I guess we should go." Fight to save the day, and there's someone who fights against that. And the fourth one, none of that. It's just kind of like. Well, I think. Sorry. No, no, Go no. back to a different play metaphor. One thing that I have heard time and time again just from people who are teaching theater, who people who are in theater, people who like to watch theater, is if you have a choice between seeing something performed and reading the script, never read the script. Because I think one of the biggest examples I've heard of this is the new Harry Potter play, The Cursed Child. I read the script. It's terrible. I read it and I wondered why you know like but I could see when I read it how it would be different if you you know if you saw it if you got competent actors to if do it if you got it. competent actors to do it and actually what I've heard from people who have seen it staged partially because of the special effects but also because of the acting is they love it when they see it on stage and it's partially just because lines that fall flat on the page if you have an actor who can say them with the right timing with a good director it comes alive much more well, that's an interesting thing to actually move into the fact that, like, okay, so reading is, like, reading it on the page is not as effective as having actors perform it. So what does that say about games that came out before we had voice acting? Did they have to be, I feel like they kind of had to be written differently, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that, like, I've been pretty vocal, Final Fantasy VI is my favorite video game, right? But going through and playing it, Reading those lines, it's an incredibly well-written game in a lot of ways, especially with the new translation on the the GBA port. But there are definitely some lines that I know if you were to get voice actors in the booth and have them say it, it wouldn't quite work out as well. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm wondering a little bit of it requires a little bit of interpretation on the player's end. Yeah. To kind of process it or filter it. Um well actually this is from the old translation, but I know one of the more famous lines in FF6 is uh when Kafka first goes to visit uh Edgar and Figaro and he turns him away and's like, "Oh, we don't know any any Esper girl." and he leaves. Then he ends up getting sand in his boots and he's berating his troops and uh one of his lines that the they definitely used to edit the game was the uh, Kafka just exclaimed, "Son of a submariner," <laughs> and it's just his his swear okay. for the fact that you know this was on the SNES. That would not that wouldn't play. Try, try and get a voice actor to do that in a way that isn't super yeah. cheesy and zoomy. And I think that that's a struggle. You could that, do it, but it'd be be tricky. It's a struggle I think JRPGs have been running up against, particularly as a genre, for a long time. If you go and try to find worst voice acting in video games, you're going to see a lot of JRPGs come up. You know, I never thought about that, but that's true. Because a lot of them have, like, especially because they have that, like, Japanese writing style and that Japanese style of humor that, like, turns a lot of people off from, like, anime comedy. Mm. Trying to be performed by English voice actors with probably not great localization. That was a huge... Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, That's a huge thing that turned me off from Xenoblade Chronicles X. Which was surprising, because the first Xenoblade Chronicles had excellent voice acting. Xenoblade Chronicles X, it was all stiff, and it was all just a lot of the, like, Haha, this is a joke! It's a pun that makes sense in the original language, but we didn't translate it well! (laughs) That, like, just kills so many anime dubs. It was the same thing in that. Well, and I think that it also... Having voice acting, uh, depending on the connection between writer, director, and actor, which is always tenuous at best, in a lot of formats, is... Having voice acting allows for a lot of nuance in the script that's not necessarily possible if you're just having someone read it. If someone says, don't go, just that two words, we will default to don't go. But it could mean, don't go. It could mean, oh yeah, don't go. Like, it could have six different meanings depending Mm -hmm. on how you vocalize that. Yeah. But if you're writing that out and you want that sarcastic don't go, you have to go, Oh, don't go. I'd miss you forever. Yada, yada, yada. And you have to write in the yada, yada, yada to make it clear that this isn't just an overdramatic person. I mean, you've got context of character outside of it, but language is a nuanced thing and tone is a very nuanced thing. And so being able to add that to a game allows for a lot of nuance of emotion that isn't necessarily possible in a pure script form. Mm especially because video games are a more kinetic form than, say, a book which has time to stop and mull over, you know, interior monologue. Mm -hmm. I also think a big part of how it might change is when you have voice acting, you can't be as wordy. Because if you think about it, when before voice acting, when all information was displayed to us through text and video games, we read faster than we can speak. That's just how the brain works. Usually, So, yeah, usually. I mean... Once you reach a certain level of reading most, proficiency. Those people, yes. Those people, yes. So someone can talk for a long time, and I can sit there and I can just be pressing X, getting my way through the conversation, read, 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 awesome, cool, and I'm good. It's a more active form of, like, comprehension. Yeah. You're, like, we're, actually reading it and processing it. Yeah, whereas if I took that same chunk of text and had someone perform it... It'd have the same effect as a lecture. Yeah, it'd be the same the, the same scene, same video game, but add a voice actor and make it a voice cutscene... Halfway through, I'm like, oh my god, are you still talking? <laughs> and yet you love Metal Gear. I know I love Metal Gear, <laughs> yeah. But Metal Gear would be a lot easier to digest if it was just scrolling through text. 
But it would lose something with the lack of the voice actors because it's always had good voice acting. That's true. Metal, uh, and I have, I've really only, I've seen the other games being played, but I've only ever actually played through end to end Metal Gear Solid. And there is something about just the way they deliver the lines. It's, it's almost like a soap opera. Oh, it's totally a soap it, opera. It is a, it is a soap opera, but it's, 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 it's a great mix of soap opera and like, you know how there's high fantasy? This is like high action or like high espionage or something. Mm. You know, those weird, those huge political dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's especially, especially the first one is just a gigantic lampoon of political thrillers. Yes, there's just so much just high level crazy conspiracy stuff going around. You're like, what? But they sell it so well somehow. You, you want to keep listening to them because partially because you're like, what the hell is this? I gotta see where this goes because this thread is going all kinds of crazy directions, but also just because the voice actors found a way to somehow do it, like deliver those lines, these ongoing, huge monologues, almost some of them literally rants in a way that was interesting the whole time. You got some heavy hitters. You've got David, the first game, you got David Hayter, Jen Hale, Paul Eating, Cam Clark. These are people who are very good at their jobs. True. And are still like the workhorses of the field. So how much of that do you think was them versus how they were directed? Uh, probably a little bit of both. I don't know off the top of my head who was the voice director for for the games, but I know that Kojima actually takes a pretty strong hand in the English dubs, because he actually likes David Hayter better than the Japanese voice actor. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought I remembered hearing Hideo Kojima has a pretty big influence on pretty much everything oh, for sure. happens in the game. That's why he was so difficult to work with. I think that is one thing, though, that's interesting about video games that you bring up, just when you talk about the heavy hitters in the video game world, until we talk about mocap and actual, I mean, not actual actors, but more famous Hollywood actors moving into space. If I took a finger for every, like, just named off video game voice actors, with ten fingers, I could probably name 80% of games on the market. Like, if I said Jen Hale, Nolan North, Troy Baker, Baker, Matt Mercer, there, you've probably got every video game ever made. (laughs) I mean, should we add Tara Strong? Yeah, add Tara Strong. There, one hand. (laughs) And I think it's really interesting because voice acting, both in video games but also in other mediums like animation, is a field where having versatility is really important because what you look like doesn't matter. I mean, we talked about Haley Joel Osment in Kingdom Hearts. Haley Joel Osment... I didn't know that was Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, Sora's Haley Joel Osment. But I think it's an interesting role where you can get typecast in voice acting for sure, but mm-hmm. it is easy for you, easier for you not to go off of how you look. Like, it can't be, oh, you're a great actress, but you're 5'5", five five, or, you know, your face is a little funny, and you're not quite as pretty as the next girl in line, or whatever. If you can do the job, if you can make your voice do what the director needs it to do, you're in. You know, there's a documentary on Netflix that was very good called I Know That Voice. This is excellent. Produced by John DiMaggio, um, who is the voice of Marcus Phoenix, among other things. Among many other things. Among many other things, but, uh, we, in the realm is of... He, is he Bender and... Yeah, he's Bender and, and Jake. And, yeah. Bender, Bender, Jake the dog. Uh, he was the Joker, technically, too. He was the Joker in, in one of the, in Under the Red Hood. Yeah. And he, he from what I hear, he did a, pr- a pretty good job. He did do a pretty good job, was, yeah. In terms of video games, I think his big one is, is Marcus Phoenix, Marcus though. Phoenix, for sure. I'm trying to think of any other big more. video so, game roles documentary. Well, there's one part in the documentary, it's all about voice actors, so of course it's very interesting for multiple reasons, and a few times they dip into video games. Like, they talk to Nolan North. Uh, I think they talk to Troy Baker? I can't remember for sure, but I know for a fact they talk to Nolan North. 
Which is like talking to Troy Baker. Pretty much. I hope they actually talk to Nolan North or I'm a liar. Point is, there's one part in the documentary where one of the actors interviewing talks about how voice acting is very different from regular... Well, actually, how it's very different from regular acting, but also very much the same. And that is, voice acting is not just about can you do a voice. It's can you become that voice. Like, yeah, you can do a great impression of, like, Michael J. Fox or something, but can you be Michael J. Fox and now he's on fire? Or Michael J. Fox, <laughs> who is suddenly in this difference. Like, you have to become the the person behind the voice and put the, and live that, them in these in different... Habitation. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's... And you have to do that with multiple yes, different... This is why we have Neil for this this episode. So you can use the actual actor words. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can put words to my babble. It's, it's we nice. all know the guy who can do a Donald Duck at a party. But mm. that doesn't mean Disney could hire him and say... Can he be Donald Duck at a funeral? <laughs> yeah, that would, that would actually be the test. That would be the test. <laughs> that would be the yeah, test. You put the character in a place that he wouldn't normally be and still figure out what he's going to be doing. Yeah, yeah that's actually... That, is, that was that, like, two minutes of Kingdom Hearts 2 where they thought Goofy was dead. That was Donald Duck at a funeral. I think this goes to an interesting point, is voice acting is used in very different ways in different games. And I think in a lot of games, in most examples of voice acting, it is that inhabiting of a character. And we can name numerous examples here, but Grant was saying earlier, Uncharted would still be a good game without Nathan Drake talking, but it wouldn't be the same game without the voice of... Of Nolan North, yeah. Thank you. I wanted to say Troy Baker, and that's wrong. That's different. But anyway... I think the other way it's used, though, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes some, the difference between inhabiting a character with your own personality and using it as fulfillment and taking or entering the life of a different person. Um, I think one, you know, really good example of this is you will be playing a different shepherd if you're playing a spam chef or a male chef, even though the plot, except romances, is basically the same. One is a gruff soldier and Jen Hale's a little sassier. Jim Hale is a little sassier. Say you're playing Saints Row 3. Say you're playing Fire Emblem. You are allowed to pick the voice actor that you want at the same time as you're choosing your skin. And what you're doing there is not saying this is, you know, some people might be creating a whole character. I think uh, Jeff's talked about how he does that in previous episodes. But what you're doing there is you're creating from the ground up who you think this person is. And do they sound a little bit gruff or do they sound a little bit higher pitched? Are they sure of themselves? Are they, you know, there are so many questions you can answer with that voice and that character will be different. And that's a choice that you're making. And I think that's why, and Grant, you can get on your rant a little here, but that is why we still have silent protagonists is because people still value being able to assume that Link sounds like you. I mean, he makes noises, but when you narrate what Link is thinking in your head, like, this puzzle is stupid. Where does this go? I guess I should shoot this with a bow. You're still saying it in your voice, and that's allowing you to inhabit. I don't know. I really want a Zelda game now where Link is just sarcastic and angry the entire game. Yeah, he's not what everyone thought his voice sounded like. Yeah. You pull out the bow. Let me see if I can shoot it. Yeah, that's not oh, a bad bullshit. idea. I think we need. I think we need an archer in the uh, in the in the in the video game world. I, I mean, yeah. Link is an archer, so it's not a far. <laughs> no, no, no. That's what I mean. No, yeah. I know. It's yeah. not. It's not too far to go. Oh, oh I see you. But yeah, no. Uh, I do. I do think having. I would love to play that game. But yeah, no. I'm very much in the death to the silent protagonist camp. I like. There are a couple rare occasions where I think it's appropriate. I think Stanley Parable. It is fundamental to how the story of the game works. Ooh. It wouldn't work if Stanley could talk. 
Actually, I was going to say something that's the perfect interlude. I was actually going to talk about uh, Grand Theft Auto V. So one of the things I was going to talk about is financing. Um, having the ability to, I mean, making a movie, making a game, it's going to be hell. I think the world is aware of that now. We've gotten rid of a lot of the glamour that we thought, oh, you go there and you make magic and you just pull out your pixie dust from your back pocket. And if you get a high enough pay grade, you're allowed to throw your pixie dust. You know, budgeting. We got Kickstarter and, for those sad, broken dreams. Yeah, now. that's right. Now we actually do have pixie dust that you can throw, and it just requires other people's money. Financing and budgeting, and the order of events that things happen, like uh, trying to break down how a cinematic scene was constructed from the script to the finished video to the voices. I would like the order to be script, then the actors, then the motion capture, or motion capture and voices at the same time. I like motion capture a lot because it allows the actors to emote and us to figure out what their their micro expressions are. That is interesting because that's part of the performance too that has improved. It is because if you look at like absolutely. some of the early voice acted games, you look at like Perfect Dark, right? One of the earliest voice acted games. It's all just a lot of fumbling around with big blocky N sixty four hands, mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at Grand Theft Auto or even looking at like I, I know Final Fantasy fifteen. I think a lot of what helped. Uh, bond together the group is there the way they move around each other in battle like the the hit you hit the guy and then gladio pushes you over like come on let me show you what it really looks like in a perfect, how a real man does it and then right. he hits the enemy harder yeah, which is awesome um and one of the things that final, uh, final fantasy 15 tried to latch on to that grand theft auto did really well also was the car scenes mm-hmm. in final fantasy 15 the car scenes are Oh, did you remember what happened five minutes ago? How do you feel about that? I don't feel very great about it. All right, Prompto, go take some pictures. Okay. No, no, Prompto always feels good about it. Prompto's like, yeah, we're going on an adventure. And none and of it, you know my secret, which and, I won't say right now. I was about to and, say. and Ignis we'll is just Ignis is just like, well, I do believe you're an idiot, Prompto, and keeps driving. Prompto, are you paying um, attention? Not really. <laughs> but Grand Theft Auto was able to take those car scenes and uh, make them so character-driven. I think it was partially uh, because they had fewer of them. You mean where you're just mm-hmm. driving from point, from point A to point, point B, B and they have a conversation? Those usually happen in a scripted way. They're yes. part of a mission. Right. Whereas with Final Fantasy XV, if they had come up with ambient dialogue, mm-hmm. that would eventually get repeated. Right. So we would have gotten annoyed of just driving around and hearing, you know... Once again, hearing, like, Prompto try to tell a joke and it falls flat and Gladio yeah. makes fun of him. That would have been a line. But we get and two more elements out of out of Grand Theft Auto that we don't get in Final Fantasy, which is, one, I'm going to bring up the scene where you take, you've got Franklin and you've got... Who's, Trevor? Uh, not Trevor. Michael. 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 And they're going, it's the boat scene, so the ah, sun... Yes. And that's a perfect example because... You get one thing which you get a lot with with Trevor, which is character, which is like the fluff of it, which is just the interesting and and Trevor's compatriots. Whenever they're in a car together, you get them bantering back and forth each other in, in an almost absurd and at the same time realistic way. Wait, wait, wait um, Trevor being absurd. Hold up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then in that scene specifically, you also get character conflict. Um, you get Franklin commenting on the way that Michael is raising his child while you are saving his child. That's dynamic acting. And they were smart enough to do that in a way that we don't have to match the mouths, which means that the animators Mm. don't have to consider what the characters' faces look like. Which was not good in Final Fantasy XV. Right. That's also interesting because that exact scene, remember, you're speeding down a highway in Michael's car, and the boat is on like a big tractor-trailer thing, 
and it's swinging over, and like Frank wants to jump on it, and the whole time you're having this dialogue, you don't stop to think that, wait, these guys are just in a booth. They weren't actually out there in a car recording this, at mm. least probably not. Right. But it, <laughs> I don't know, the whole time I thought about it, I was just like, yeah, because they're in the car, they're yelling, and I'm like, wait, no, they just did that from a booth. I just, I just thought about it now. I never thought about that, but it pulls you into the moment so much. You don't. Yeah, the director just said, "Yeah, you're in a car now." You don't think about it at all that, yeah. well, that these guys are. Just and it doesn't require too much to because you're able to see what the characters are willing to do rather than what they're willing to say. Mm. Franklin gets out of the car. He goes, "I can't believe I'm doing this," but he gets on the fucking other car and yeah. he jumps out. You know. Well, and I think that what we're saying here in both of those examples is that the strongest moments of voice acting is when the voice acting runs together smoothly with other elements, when it runs together with the character development, when it runs together with the action, when it runs together with how the characters interact with each other. And I think that when voice acting is really weak in the modern era, when we have money for it, is when the actor is not given that context. Yeah, I think the the big, really, really high-profile example of that recently was Destiny. Uh, they made a huge deal in all the marketing for Destiny that they were going to have Peter Dinklage... Like, Peter Game of Thrones fucking Dinklage was going to be in this game as your little robot buddy, who is, you know, your character isn't totally silent, but doesn't talk very often. And the Dinklebot, the ghost, we call him the Dinklebot, is the your, your ambassador to the outside world. He does the exposition dumping when you un- uncover something. He helps you through this world. And it just didn't work. And a lot of people didn't like him. And he was really, really unpopular. I didn't like him. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was lukewarm on him, like whatever. Uh, and after a year, they replaced him. They got Nolan North to, North to redub over all of his lines, and Nolan North is the ghost now. Yep. And they just completely erased Peter Dinklage from the game. And I don't know entirely how confirmed this is, but my understanding is that I mean, Destiny had a lot of weird turmoil in its development, like eleventh hour script changes and stuff that made it not as good of a game as it could have been. They don't have time to explain. They don't have time to explain yeah. why it's not better. Yeah, the story was a hot mess in a lot of ways. And uh, part of it was that Peter Dinklage, and this is a common complaint from a lot of video game voice actors, he was given no context. Right. He was just given his lines and said, you're a robot, say these lines. So he went, okay, so he said those lines in a flat robotic tone. And the thing is, video game lines have the potential, without context, To be stupider than movie lines. Yeah, especially when this is like a weird space magic sci-fi story. Well, I mean, Sora, the nobodies are trying to take his heart. Like, if you took that out of context, like in the context, like there there were issues going on. But if you take it out of context, that's a bunch of words that have been shoved together like someone's ripping words out of the dictionary. Yeah, or like, I, there was one line, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like... They've taken the hive. Yeah, it was like, the, the hive have infiltrated the moon. Uh, <laughs> we, have to, we have to decipher this triptych so we can get the Sword of Crota. If you play the game, you understand, oh, okay, Makes yeah. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, no, the hive are these, like, basically space zombies. You mainly encounter them on the moon, they've colonized it. And Crota is like the prince of the hive who has, like, slain many a mighty guardian. If you get down into these sub-basements, you can destroy his sword that's this mythical weapon he uses to fight. Cool. But he didn't have that. The guy saying the lines didn't have that, so he just was, uh, yeah, sure, better get that sword. He had no idea. And I think I've heard that a lot from a lot of voice actors is that a lot of the time when you're recording, you don't even necessarily know what game you're recording for because they want to keep things under wraps 
because they want to make sure they reveal stuff at the same time. So you might be recording for a game that hasn't been announced yet. Well, and also, uh, when you have actors, and Neil, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know more about this world than I do, but a lot of times now we're getting actors who are breaking in from movies and who are being called into video games because they're big names and they want people to buy their games. And so you'll get these names that are big from TV or movies or other things who don't necessarily care about games in the slightest, who are doing voice acting. And I don't mean that you necessarily have to be passionate about something to act in it. But if it's a world that you do not have the context for and you don't understand, if you're given the plot of Gears of War and you're not a gamer, you're like, okay, so giant bugs are attacking. (laughs) Cool. Great. Whatever. Awesome. Because a lot of it comes from you as the player connecting to the action, being able to be the one who's shooting down. You are the solution to the problem, and that gets your adrenaline pumping, and that makes you care about the characters and the story, and that makes them real to you. And if you're an actor breaking in from outside, or not breaking in, but coming in from outside of that world, and you don't have that same connection, even when you do have the context, or especially without the context in Dinklage's case, that's going to make it more difficult to inhabit that role, is my way of thinking. I feel like video games, too especially when compared to movies. Because movies, technically you don't have to stick to the standard. But really the standard is a movie should be anywhere from like one to two hours. But a standard movie you would go to a theater to see is anywhere from like usually an hour and a half to two and a half hours long. Usually. So there's a set, but there, there's a, there, there are limits, you know? There's an, a start and an end, and you have, to, you have to cram it all within these two borders. With video games, that's much more variable. You know, you have you can have upwards to you know hundreds of hours to play with. Really, what that allows for is, I think, a much more intimate experience because you're not rushing through it as much. There's not, oh, okay, well, we're an hour and a half through the movie, so clearly we're almost done. We can't include as much dialogue or as much character interaction or as much action as we wanted to with a video game. It's all up to the player, really, how much, how deep they want to go into it, or in some cases, it's up to the developers how much they want to put in there. How much do you want to dedicate, or can you, with budgeting and stuff? You end up getting almost, in those games that are very acting-intensive, more acting, more focus on the characters, and more interaction, so it's a much more intimate experience than you'd get with standard film. That depends, I think. Because sometimes you get that. I think Grand Theft Auto V is a great example, because even for the random people on the street, they recorded a lot of ambient dialogue. Yes. Just bumping into people. I was really impressed by it. Usually, with open-world games like that, they don't go that route. And we end up with Skyrim, where the guards have the same five or six lines. And I think one way that voice acting can kill a game is when you've got the repeated lines that you hear over and over again. I mean, let's talk about Mass Effect again. I I will destroy you! Well, I I will destroy you, but how long was Garrus doing those calibrations? I mean, (laughs) he is a main character, he is on your ship, and like the conversations you have with him are in-depth and interesting... But every time you go and talk to him and realize that you don't have a new conversation with him, and I would go talk to him repeatedly because I was hoping there was something, it would remind me each time that he is a video game character. He is not real, and he does not have words. Because he says the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. He says the same thing every time, yeah. Kind of pulls you out of it. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think I was, I've been playing Skyrim a little bit more recently, and like... I definitely got a lot of that, of just like walking around like, oh my god... Yes. An arrow to the knee. I, I got it. That joke is dead. Stop telling it. My favorite mod is you can get a mod so that any time a guard says the arrow to the knee line, they get struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think what it is is that voice acting definitely gives us more. It gives us a way to interact with characters on a level that makes them more real because they interact in a way that we as non-mute humans interact. But I think on the same level, that makes us want more. Because if they are more psychologically real to us, then we are more... Hurt isn't exactly the word I want, but we are more affected when we are reminded that this isn't real. When you're playing the first Zelda, if you walk into a room and a little text scroll says it's dangerous to go alone, take this, you know you're playing a video game. There are tropes. There are things, if you talk to the same person, they're going to say the same thing because it's a little game. But as you get more sprawling with Skyrim that promises the entire world that has in-depth you know, quests and relationships, the moments that it takes you out rip you out much more than a game that doesn't add that level of psychological realism does. Also, the, there's limitations in, in mm-hmm. Skyrim. I think also part of it, too, is um, is knowing where you're setting the expectation for your audience. Like, I don't think there was a single time in Skyrim where I was, like, questioning something about humanity. You know what I mean? It was like, like and that doesn't mean that there's not good acting in there. Mm-hmm. Like, there was. But there was no need for micro-expression as much because motivations are very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very few times that a character even has a conceit or a deceit towards the main character or anyone. The only exception thing is, like, League of Assassins or... The, the Dark Brotherhood? Dark Brotherhood. Raish was not in this game. Yeah, Raish was not in this game. Yeah, so the limitations being there, too. Also, you're not expecting mm-hmm. a Last of Us moment. Yeah, you're you can't expecting... Yeah, you can't get, you can't get you know, the, the last scene of Last of Us yeah. when everyone has Bethesda face. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. Right. Uh, Bethesda face. Yeah, I love Bethesda face. <laughs> like uh, someone sat on a pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious... Since you know a lot more about acting than mm. the rest of us do, is there anything that you see in voice acting in video games that is a, a pet peeve for you as someone who knows... Better. Better, yeah. Of like things that you see that are like, ah, I shouldn't do that. Um, that's, that's, that's difficult, too, because I think that the largest role that a director or a voice director has, and I don't know this for sure because I'm not a voice director, I've listened to a few... Nerdist podcast with a voice director, maybe just one. But to, to my knowledge, I think the best actors, the best actors, hmm, how do I phrase this? The best actors don't require as much out of their director. You can give them a note and they'll take three notes out of it. On the other hand, there's something invariably um, important about the relationship and the language between both the participant and the viewer, which is usually the director and the actor. The actor giving you something to work with, and then the director having it heard really quickly, unbiased, at least less biased because you're outside of the body that made the decision, being able to say, I want this instead. And it's difficult to see... I think one of the, one of the difficult things for the, for the video game world is uh, theater and film, you're going so directly off of those reactions where in the video game world, there's going to be less people to spell check you. Um, there's not many as many people checking in on the actor or the voice director. So I would think it's, I would say for me, it's it's tiny moments as well. It's the moment where someone says something really stupid in a really bad way and, and no one really checked it. Okay, um, you played the first Kingdom Hearts, right? Yes. But first, you must give the princess back her heart. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, lines like that. Yeah, we're just putting the emphasis on the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to be You don't need to be an actor to be like, no. <laughs> yeah, keywording is huge, too. Um, one of the things, 
a huge thing in keywording, which most major actors are going to know, is if at any point you put um, heavy emphasis on I or you, you're going to sound like a complete dick face. <laughs> uh, is that the technical acting term? Yes, dick face. Yes. <laughs> dick face. I never thought about that before, but it's totally true. Uh, if you ever hear someone go, I don't want the chocolate, then you're just like, wow, you're such a brat. But you're like, I don't want the chocolate. And you're like, oh, that guy's sassy. I kind of like his, <laughs> I kind of like his his, 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 his his way to reject free treats. I like this guy's style. Yeah, right. <laughs> he doesn't want the chocolate. You know what? I don't either. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of for the, all of the movie actors moving into the, um, the audio world. Um, my fear for it is that they're not going to have the same language and relationship. But it's, you never really know. I mean, I think that's one of the things that when um, when you ask an, uh, an actor about what is talent, it's kind of it's really fuzzy, because part of it's being able to put on the performance, but ultimately it comes down to the performance. Like that is your underlying detail of like where you get there. But the but the process for which you get there is very different. You know, you have your um, Abraham Lincoln dude. What was the guy's name? Oh, Abraham Daniel Lincoln? Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis. Who who he? But he, he'll tell you if you do an interview with him, he'll say. That's just the way that I do it. Mm-hmm. There are other actors who come on set the the first day have no clue where their actor is gonna where their character is gonna be by the by the time they finish. So I think it's I think it's all about kind of proving yourself in really unorthodox ways, no matter high up high ho up the belt you go. Um, the opposite would be Peter Dinklage. I mean, he hasn't really messed up in anything up until this one character. Yeah. Um. So it's hard to say what. What failed to get one of the best actors of our generation to do a very easy role? I think what we're coming on again is something that we as a podcast, and I know, Neil, you haven't been here, but that we've hit on again and again, is that there is a spectrum in video games from games that are story games and games that are gameplay games. And some things balance the two better than others. But I think what we're saying is that the more story-based a game is, the stronger the voice acting has to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is where I, I do want to talk about Quantic Dream. Actually, I'm surprised I didn't think of it when we were when we were drafting this. But if you look at Indigo Prophecy, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and uh, Detroit, it's coming out eventually. They are literally interactive movies. That's what David Cage does. He takes cinema and he adds those levels of interactivity to let you change the story. Heavy Rain was an excellent, excellent, excellent game. But there is no doubt that in some places it faltered, and most of that was because of the voice acting. Jason. Jason. Yeah, the Jason. But like the the voice acting for the lead four characters in general was pretty good. But the big thing that gets pointed out a lot is that he always includes kids in his games, and it's 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 a European. It's rough in general, but it's a European studio, so he's always got. Kids with very thick European accents. Who <laughs> can barely speak English. Who, yeah, who just, yeah, they, I mean, they can speak English all right, but they have a very obvious pronounced accent when they're supposed to be kids growing up in America. Right. Like, that was the big thing with both Jason and Sean in, in Heavy Rain. One, they were kids, they weren't very good actors to begin with. They just weren't great. But also, like, e- Ethan Mars and his wife are both obviously American. They have standard American accents. And then their kids have some kind of Eastern European accent. I couldn't identify it. And that takes you out of the story. And it takes you out of the story repeatedly throughout the game. Which is like, there are a lot of people with European accents in New York City right now. I mean, it is New York. It is New York, but still. But still. So I, I think that that is something that really dragged them down. And 
But they're starting to go the celebrity route, too, because Beyond Two Souls had Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe in it. Yeah, pretty big, pretty big names. Two incredibly big names. And I don't know if Detroit is going to have any celebrities, but I'm hoping that Detroit will get over that and some of the other stepping blocks they've had. I think we've pretty much covered, unless anybody has anything else they're dying to say, I think that's voice acting. Pretty much. We solved I mean, it. That's all of it. We solved it. We solved we voice acting. It. <laughs> there. It's better now. It's better now. It will never if be bad. If any game has bad voice acting, we'll send them a link and say, dude, fix your, we told you. Fix your shit, bro. So anyway, I would encourage our listeners, uh, tell us what you think. We've got all kinds of social media that we'll have at the end of the of the show. Tell us what is your favorite voice acting moment. What's your favorite hilariously bad voice acting moment? There are a lot of them. There are a lot of them, although if you say Titus laughing, you miss the point. And what is important to you in voice acting? Yeah, and one last thing. We'd like to thank Neil Phelps again for coming all the way up here. He crossed state lines to be on this podcast. He did. One whole state. Um, Yeah, and we only paid him in pork, so. (laughs) Very, very, very delicious pork, though. But we'd like to thank him. Neil, do you have anything that you've been working on that you'd like to direct people to? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm an independent filmmaker. Um, if you go online, if you have ever been in the service industry, you'll appreciate my first film. Not if you just like uh, really weird, absurd things. Type in Stumped, S-T-U-M-P-E-D, Neil Phelps. So type in my full name and Stumped and you'll see it. Which spelling um, of Neil is that? Uh, N-E-I-L, and my last name spelled like the swimmer, P-H-E-L-P-S. Uh, and another, we'll link it in the episode description. Cool, cool. And then um, another thing, uh, I've got another film coming out. You probably won't be able to see it, so we won't be able to link it right away. Uh, it should be coming out mid-January, mid-February. We've got to do a bunch of special effects on it. But if you uh, if you have any interest in the mythos of the State Farm world, we have fully expounded it. And we have brought it to you in gory fashion. If that sounds like your cup of tea, uh, the working title right now is Farm of the State. Uh, so find it online on YouTube, hopefully within the next coming months. And we got to see an early copy of it, uh, minus the special effects, which I'm sure will be shocking and beautiful, but we found it quite humorous. I, I chuckled. I had a sensible chuckle. Just I had when, it too. <laughs> just when you thought, man, I don't need any more State Farm lore. You were wrong. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> beautiful. Thanks, guys. So I think with that, uh, that wraps up another episode. So uh, for Volcano Bake Meat, I'm Grant. I'm Paige. I'm Connor. And I'm visiting as Neil. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Volcano Bake Meat. Join the conversation online by visiting our website, volcanobakemeat.wordpress.com, emailing us at so simply very good at gmail.com, following us on Twitter at so simply very good, good spelled G U D like a lolcat, subscribing to our subreddit, our Volcano Bake Meat following us on Facebook at Volcano Bake Meat Radio, or checking out our YouTube channel, Volcano Bake Meat. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast or review us on iTunes and Stitchers. Our opening theme is by Techne, spelled T-E-X-V-N, and you can find his work on SoundCloud. Our about page portraits were drawn by Sarah Tillery. Her art can be found at stillsart.tumblr.com, and she is open for commissions. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. 